0: Hello and thank you for joining the Journal of a New Generation podcast from Waverley Abbey. In this six-part series, we are exploring how we as followers of Jesus can respond and walk through the disorientating moments in our lives and in the complexity of today's culture. We're going to be looking at the ancient ways of Jesus. Later in this episode, we'll hear from Sarah and Pete Portal in Mannenberg, South Africa, where they live and serve as part of the team at Tree of Life Community, sharing about dealing with disappointments and a strange sense of entitlement that can easily creep in when we partner with God. Throughout the accounts of Jesus' life on this earth, we see that he is often found spending time with the poor, the hurting, and generally those rejected by mainstream society. Could it be that the places of encounter with Jesus that our soul is longing for is not a shiny conference center with air conditioning and comfortable seating where we are looking to be entertained, but it's actually finding Jesus in the places where injustice is rampant, so that we can express God's mercy and justice. Micah six eight says, "He has shown you, O mortal, what is good, and does the Lord what does the Lord require of you? To act justly, to love mercy." and to walk humbly with your god. Jason, a famous well-known scripture, especially around 2020 when all the George Floyd incident happened, that verse was very much um brought back alive. I mean, it was in the bible the whole time, but I know around my generation and around social media and stuff, that was the verse that was uh, spoken a lot of and I'd love to um yeah, get your thoughts on what does it actually mean to love justice, uh, to live, to act justly, to love mercy and to live humbly before God. What does that mean?
1: I think one of the problems we have with justice, uh, especially in our world at the moment, is put the word social and justice together and that means certain things. It's become politicised. So there are certain forms of justice that we either take part in or or avoid or think we, we shouldn't. And what we need to do is step back from it and go, well, what what is justice? What's yeah. God's justice in the world? and um, and what does it mean for for what I should do uh, in recognition of that? So um, one of the ways to understand God's concerns in the world, for justice, there seem to be three three key things that, um, and that is God cares about the poor, God cares about the alien. Uh, the, the the refugee, and he cares about those who are, are sick. Um, see that again and again through scripture, and we see that with with Jesus. Um, so I am convinced that we're supposed to participate in in those things as as justice. But when it comes to justice and organisations and institutions and politics and what we should do and what we shouldn't, you get a whole range of Christians for whom it's unpalatable. I don't want to agitate. I don't want, you know, we're supposed to be honouring of the local, you know, the, those placed in positions of power. And those are another extreme that, you know, want to to, to agitate for extreme, you know, uh, interference. Um, I think scripture is clear on on a few things when it comes to politics and our life in this world, that that the church, again, what is the church? But the church, ecumenically, the church is the people of God in the world, are supposed to hold people in power to account and remind them that there is a God and one day he will judge all things. There are consequences to how we live. Um, that doesn't mean that we should have Christian governments. There's a whole other issue. Sometimes Christian governments can be good. Sometimes they can be bad uh, through through history. But we we should be holding those in political power to account. And for Christians, pointing towards God will one day judge you on the way that you have cared for the poor, looked after the sick, and and for the for, for the alien in in your midst. So, so how do we participate in that as a Christian? Because often I think it's so, it's so debilitating and so overwhelming that either people feel it has to be the sole thing that they do, completely. I have to sell everything, give up everything, or it's just impossible to, to access it. So where, where might we start with, with justice um, and mercy and walking humbly with, with God? I think that the, one of the things that would happen is it would, it would, it's supposed to cost us something um it's supposed to be costly um in terms of time in terms of effort um maybe even in terms of reputation and again that's very hard in our world with a lot of virtue signaling social performance um shouting at one another online and you actually haven't made any difference at all to the world by doing that so and often it's things that aren't seen by anyone we could we can start right where we are where we Live. So, if I can lens that into something, a, a little theological idea, um, I think this is all part of. We've been talking about God's purposes in creation and redemption. And, and justice is an aspect of that. It's an aspect of things that are wrong being put right, being put into order in, in a way that God would be pleased with and, and are better. Um, so uh, if we think of Eden, uh, the story of the Garden of Eden and the brokenness of fallen human beings and all that comes into the world as a result from that, we're called to bring Eden to where we are. And justice flows from that redemptive story. So it's not about escaping from where we are. Many of us want to live somewhere else or go somewhere that's like Eden. But if we think of justice as how do I bring God's beauty, recreation, restoration, truth, wholeness, um, care, how do I bring that where I am? That could be your home. It could be where you live in your local community. And that's why the local church is one of the most phenomenal ways to find avenues for justice in community. If you're stuck, go in. even if you join one of the most boring churches locally, they probably will have something they're doing to try and bring justice, um, either small j or on a larger scale.
0: So you mentioned about holding those in positions of power to account and speaking truth to power. What what does that look like? Is that a signing of a petition? Is that protesting? Is that um, absconding or removing oneself from certain systems and structures? What does that look like in a godly manner? Because you also rightly spoke about that that scripture about all authority has been given by God and that we're called to submit under it. And so, speaking truth to power, holding them to account on one end. And then all authority, recognizing it's from God and we're called to honor those in authority. How do we balance that
1: healthily? Well, it can be all of those things um, and discerning which one. And again, there's... Different flavors, different approaches from different types of spirituality and understanding of Christianity, um, some of feeling that you can work very closely with people in in local authority, government politics, uh, and other versions were saying, no, we have to withdraw from that this, this is it's not possible to to collaborate I mean that 's a whole topic. How do you navigate that but let let's assume for people listening that broadly someone's in a place of thinking, yeah. I, I'm well. Let me use a phrase: we're supposed to be in the world, but not of it. Um, you know that actually the world isn't all okay, and it, and and I have a responsibility and opportunity to see that and where I see it to participate in some way, and that God would have me do that. Um, so it could be writing letters, you know, to local politicians. Um, it, it could be protesting peacefully. Um, um, but I don't think it's shouting at people online. I don't think it's denigrating other people. Um, I also think it's about stepping into a place and doing things to try to make things better. So if I could, can I give an example from my own you life? So I've got a disabled special needs daughter, Um, that's been a a very painful process, many, if you look online you'll see the thousands of families around the country have had to take legal redress against local authorities to gain access to to support for things there are many times where I have found myself so angry I've had to restrain from shouting at someone at the injustice of what's happening not just to my daughter but other people's children Um, but I remember one time I was in a meeting uh, and it was a change by the local authority and it was done, ham fist trying to save money, no due processing for the parents. And I was so cross. But it was a moment where I I felt God say to me, do something different. And I stood up and I said, look, could I talk? And instead of being cross and angry and shouting, said, is there really no way we can collaborate on this and come up with something better? And actually, in that moment, we were able to talk and People were there, and the mediator, and we agreed, and actually came up with a transport policy in consultation with parents. Now, that's not always possible, but it felt like the our children ended up with something better. But it was less adversarial; it was it was collaborative. So that's just a, a person, a very personal story of my own life of having to to get the measure of of how to engage in issues of justice.
0: Thank you for sharing that. That's deeply personal. So thank you. Um, the what I find hard or difficult is the balance between justice and mercy. The two coexist, or they they should coexist. They coexist in Christ that He came to uh, to to bring judgment on sin and the broken world, but showed mercy to those of us who are very much caught in that game. And so, what does it look like for us to? Yeah. I mean, as the verse in Micah says, to live justly and yet love mercy. How do we balance that, especially when we are being hurt and we are being affected directly by the injustices in this world?
1: Yeah, well, firstly, we're supposed to live justly. We're not supposed to live judgmentally. That, that's very different. Ooh, that's justice, a mic drop there. <laughs> justice, and, justice and judgment. Um, yeah, You know, it, we should live in a way that is just. It begins with us. And we can live in a just way in an unjust world. And in actual fact, all Christians are called to try and live in a just way, in a world that's unjust. Even the best government society is going to have injustices in it because it's full of people like you and me. So we we're supposed to live justly and... And to act with mercy. And mercy tempers justice. Um, if we have just one or the other, it becomes problematic. If we're all about the mercy, well, nothing matters. But if if we're all about the justice, we become judgmental. Um, and we see Jesus model that wonderfully. Um, calls out things that are unjust um, in how God sees them, but mercifully invites... Opportunity for people to respond, and there is love and redemption, and forgiveness, and wholeness, and restoration. Um, And a lot of what passes for participation in justice can often not have any of those elements to it hostile, judgmental, critical. And again, this particular time in our culture, you know, we are. Pushing back into a sort of shame-based system, where there is no room for forgiveness and reconciliation and transformation, um, and that's what mercy opens a door for. To be merciful, yeah, we, you might deserve something, but there's a God who loves you, and actually, I offer you something else, uh, and that's where forgiveness. Um, what would what would it look like in our world at the minute for those who are offended to offer forgiveness?
0: To those who have a theological standpoint that Jesus is coming back, he's the judge of all things and he has won the battle, you know, I believe it, and he's coming with a new earth and a new heaven and a new earth and, and those things. And people may be thinking, well, you know, he'll be back soon. He'll be back at some point and then there won't be any problems. So we just have to kind of pray and wait it out. Um, and that can lead to a passivity. What What are your thoughts on on that stance of theology?
1: Yeah, well, one way to pass that is to think about, yeah, we can have a type of spirituality theology that, you know, just hunker down, uh, mind your own business, because then hopefully Jesus will be back soon, and um, stay off the radar. And the problem is that's, Pretty much agnostic. You're being agnostic about God's activity in the world, and pretty close to not being Christian, which is. I hope it all works out okay in the end. I'm just going to mind my own business uh, over here. But then you overrealize things. So in terms of our eschatology, in other words, what can God do at this time, and wants to do with me, and what what is possible to participate in before Christ returns. What has to wait for his return, but what's possible now? Uh, And again, we can become over-realised in that, in thinking that we can establish heaven on earth. And Christians have tried this in history. We'll come up with a politics or an economics that is explicitly Christian, as if the kingdom of God is here now. Uh, And as scripture tells us, it's now and not yet. And justice sits in that place. It's always attention to manage. We're always going to have the poor, always going to have the sick, always going Going to have inequality, but that doesn't mean that we don't reach for kingdom responses to it when we can. Um, does that make sense?
0: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. One of the thoughts I had was around hypocrisy, because I think it's easy for us to want justice around the things that affects us directly, but perhaps not live justly regarding matters that doesn't affect us, but our actions are very much having impact on the others, and. Um, and I thought, and I just wondered whether you had a thought around that of, I know sometimes it, it can be debilitating thinking about, well, there are so many injustices in the world and I've got to part, participate in something, but who am I? I? I've got loads of injustices. I've got things that I haven't done or I could be doing better and all of that. And and that can often make me just sit down and go, it's all just a bit overwhelming. So yeah, I am just going to sit down and hope that it passes. Um. What are your thoughts around hypocrisy and justices when, when people are feeling as though they have no power, they, ha- they don't feel um, qualified to bring about any justice in this world because they have yet to deal with some of the injustice in their own hearts?
1: I mean, hypocrisy, that's a huge topic. What is hypocrisy? What's compromise? Um, I think sometimes we get confused between the complexities of the world and having to navigate them. And you're a hypocrite if you can't do everything perfectly, exactly the way it was supposed to be. And that lacks integrity. Um, scripture talks about wisdom as a way of being wise in the world. There, are, Our ends are never fully achievable, but it doesn't mean we don't strive towards them. Um, sometimes that's what, I think people look at things and think, oh, I was hypocritical if I can't fully achieve this, do this, be this." Um, and then you've got complete hypocrisy, you know, of saying one thing and doing completely the opposite. Um, and again, that's a whole massive topic. Where are we in this world with identity crisis, leadership crisis, political crisis? You know, where is the, what's the opposite of of hypocrisy, integrity, accountability, authenticity? Um, so, so that's one thing—that's that's hypocrisy and how you how you map it out. But how do we how do we participate? Sounds like the bigger question. Who am I to do something where I am? Um, we live in a world, especially at the minute, perfectly designed to disable us from taking part in the world for anything. For God, I, I'm too busy. I'm too tired. I'm uh, I don't have the resources. I'm nobody. And again and again, Scripture says that anyone who knows God has access to him and his resources, that it's not about us, it's about him. And and every moment we step into a place where we feel disqualified for any of those reasons, those are the thresholds for the kingdom of God to open up to us. That's how we die to ourselves, um, rather than, than a disposition of, when I have enough, then I can. That's the fundamental problem of our world. Our world and its brokenness and fallenness And the problems that it has exist because of of an environment in which we don't have enough, there's scarcity. When we do, then we can take care of things. And we can get co-opted into that without seeing it. And one of the ways to act justly and stand against that is to press against it and go, no, I'm going to be different. I am tired, but I'm still going to engage. I do feel inadequate, but it's not about me. It's about God. And that could just be talking to your next door neighbour.
0: There's something really powerful about that because you're right, there is a sense of disempowerment, a constant, you're too small, what can your few decisions make a difference in the large scale of all of these problems around the world? And so it can make us, well, yeah, I don't have enough. I, I. What difference can I make? And it can just make us sit down. But I love the way that you framed it in terms of dying to ourselves. And we know that through kind of dying to sin and all of those things, but dying to ourselves is actually also partly a thing of dying to the false understanding that we are powerless, that we have no contribution to make for the kingdom of God. Thinking about uh, the decisions I've made to, to live more justly in, in whatever capacity that may be and to uh, love mercy, live humbly and, and all of that, uh, I, I do often question my motivation. Is it driven by social pressure? Is it driven by this is what I should be doing, therefore i am and 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 we all know when and I think you know we spoke about it earlier, but whenever there's that word should, it doesn't carry with it love, it's not a true desire it's it's a fear, it's an anxiety thing, so as Christians, what are our true motives when it comes to justice, and what can what what can help us to stir a desire to live justly? That isn't just fear, anxiety and social pressure driven.
1: I think we can get so mixed up about our motives. Um, We can be doing things because we feel we ought to, should do or it's going to earn us. And then you get there, well, and we've probably all been there. I've done this for you. We said yes to him gladly, but I've done this for you. Why is this now happening to me? Yeah. That that often I've never kicks said in, that. No, you. I... <laughs> no, yeah, you know. And we're always a mix, and the Lord understands that that we're we're a mixed bag of motives. We don't even know some of our motives, and still we start to pursue things and say yes to God because that, that that in the saying of it, it reveals that in us, and then God's good, and he'll 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 challenge us on that and, and work through that in us. Um, And I think there is to engage in justice with God in his mission, in the world, in the way that he's made us has to bless us at the same time, has to it's not a zero-sum game where I do something, you know, to do something for God is something I'm going to hate for the rest of my life, and then somehow that makes my motives pure. Um, You know, a lot of people do absolutely amazing things for God, because they take risks, because they say yes to God in a way that I haven't been able to, but also because that's just how they're wired, and and they're living out of that, and they thrive in, in that. So what we need to come back to is it, it, it it's what's God's saying to you. What's the greatest return of yourself to God in love for Him? This God who loved us and has forgiven us and pursued us. Once we understand that in a small amount, what would be the greatest return of that? Um I love the I always used to quote it um in my old church when I survey the wondrous cross. You know, the first few verses of that are like, here is God, here is Jesus, here's the immensity of what God's done for us and given for us. And then you get right to the end, the last verses. If all of that is so, were the whole realm of nature mine that were an offering far too small, love so amazing, so divine. You remember the next word? Demands. You know, the, the the response, you know, the, the love for my wife demands something. The love for my kids demands something. The love for my interest in life demands something. Uh, and I think there is a place when it comes to justice and mission that, that the, the, the greatest outflow of that is a return of ourselves to God. So take risks, do something small, ask God, Lord, in view of what I know of you and who you are, what would you have me do? And he'll show you. And if you take part in that, it will bless other people and it will bless you.
0: I mean, that's the true kingdom equality, isn't it? It isn't that God makes one person really uncomfortable for the sake of bringing comfort to another. It's that we are all comforted in God and in that comfort, we're able to share and restore that relationship with each other. That's, yeah, that's the beauty of kingdom justice, isn't it? I love that. Earlier I spoke with Pete and Sarah Portal in Mannenberg, South Africa. They're living out everything we've just spoken about and it's a wonderful story. Hello Pete and Sarah, thanks for joining us from South Africa. Um, whereabouts in South Africa are you?
2: Hi Charlie, Yeah, we're joining hey. you from Manenburg, um, which
0: is a community in Cape Town. What is life for you? What does it look like for you day to day for both of you?
2: Yeah, for sure.
0: Um, I mean, the first thing to say is that Sarah is
2: from just down the road. She is Cape Townian born and bred. Amazing. Um, But uh, interestingly, such is the makeup of Cape Town, the journey 20 minutes down the road is often a longer and slightly rockier uh, uh, (laughs) journey than 10,000 kilometers south from London. Um, Wow. But we can get into some of that. Such is the nature of the fear and division and the legacy of apartheid in this city. Mm. But we are part of uh, a core leadership team that um, runs, that leads Tree of Life, uh, a 24-7 prayer community in Manenberg, uh, an area of Cape Town known, uh, sadly, mostly for um, gangs, drugs and violence. There's obviously, that's only part of the story. Lots of good stuff goes on in Manenberg as well, which doesn't often get... In the news, but we are part of um, leading Tree of Life, and Tree of Life runs two residential ministries one for uh, young men seeking help coming out of gangs and drugs. Um, So that's like a discipleship house where they come for 18 months, uh, learn the way of Jesus, basically uh, come to faith in Him, and then are sent out to reintegrate back into society to share what they've learned with their kind of old gang, and uh, drug buddies, and then the women's house um, called Basila, which is Arabic for brave, strong and free, and that is for uh, mothers also struggling with abuse and or addiction and their children to really the same thing, uh, learn and follow the ways of Jesus, live in community, heal from trauma, be placed in the center of covenant community, Mm -hmm. and then when the timing is right go out and get jobs and reintegrate into society and you know tell people what jesus has done for them
0: amazing that beautiful kind of all-round redemption circle isn't it receiving healing wholeness go out and share that healing and wholeness of christ with others that's really beautiful um so we're talking about kind of this moment we find ourselves in, you know, this moment, it sounds very dramatic and, you know, people can talk about it from post COVID or, um, a friend once said to me, uh, if he ever wrote a book, it will be entitled, about his life, it will be entitled, didn't see that coming. And I laughed a little too hard at that. You know, when you're laughing because you relate to it so hard, but you're actually crying inside. (laughs) So I was like, oh gosh, I really felt that in the depth of my soul. Um, But every time I say it, just like you guys laugh right now, there is that, I think everyone's got that kind of yeah, didn't see that coming. Um so I wanted to know about kind of those moments. I'm sure there's many of those moments, but is there a particular moment where you kind of was hit by the surprise and yeah, you said did not see that coming.
2: Well, I think yeah, if I was if I sort of set it up generally, I know that so you've got some specific thoughts on that. But but really life in Mannenberg, even a good day is balanced on a knife edge and can descend into chaos in an instant. Um depending on which uh, gang boss has been let out of prison last week or you know which turf war remains unresolved etc um, and then just in the ministries obviously and within tree of life you know we say we do church much better monday to saturday than we do on sunday we do meet on sunday but it's chaos uh, generally but monday to saturday you know you are you are doing life and community with people ourselves included, who are carrying trauma and dysfunction and chaos and pain. And so, yeah, really every day, I'd say, is a fair uh, dose of I didn't see that coming. We didn't see that coming. Um, both good and bad, by the way. You know, like some of the most beautiful testimonies or people who turn up to church and announce that they're actually a year clean off heroin. And you, you say, well, we haven't seen you in a year. I just assumed you were either dead or in jail. This is glorious, you know. Um but at the same token, um, yeah, there, there have definitely been some significant didn't-see-that-coming moments.
0: Yeah. Mm. About you, Sarah. You want to yeah, neatly okay, transitioning so- to Sarah <laughs> telling you what one of those is.
3: Um, I think probably the, the, the overarching didn't-see-that-coming was when we actually started our ministry. Mm-hmm. Um, we started the Discipleship House because we kind of felt the Lord lead us to do that. Um, And we felt God say to open our home, our own home uh, and welcome guys in and just love them and create a space for them to encounter Jesus and to pursue healing and to help them connect with professionals who can help them with addiction or mental health or whatever. So we did that. um, And about a year and a half in, Our runaway rate was high. Our betrayal rate was high. We got stabbed in the back every single week. That wasn't a... the plan, God.
0: <laughs> no, that
3: wasn't the plan. That's um, we... not what the books told us. <laughs> yeah, that's not what other people's stories told us. We we've been reading the books of other people doing that, and it's all success stories. We were stabbed <laughs> yeah. in the back oh, on a week my basis. Goodness. Wanted to
0: quit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Amen to that.
3: Yeah, no, it was, it was rough. And there was like this one day where I was just like, God, but like we did everything you told us to do. Like why aren't we seeing any fruits? And I just felt mm-hmm. the Lord say like, I didn't, I didn't promise you fruits. I didn't promise that you would see the fruits. Like there will be fruits, but you won't necessarily see it. I like that. I, I invited you to partner with me. Yeah. And so I think that for me, the big, I didn't see that coming was that for us, our role was to serve and to love mm-hmm. um, and to entrust to God the fruit and that some of that fruit might be in 20 years time, it wouldn't all unfold in our perfect timeline, mm. in front of our eyes in our 18 month program mm. um, and because we've now been here for what you've been 14 years. Yeah, we've been living here almost 10 years. Yeah. Here, so. Um, we we're actually starting to see some of the fruits of ten years ago that felt mm-hmm. like, oh, but we sowed all our love and for what? And now we're starting to see some of that fruits, um, yeah, come to life, which is really beautiful. But we we are, we were able to adjust our expectations that we're not entitled to see what would God would create from mm-hmm. from our essentially what felt like sacrificial love sometimes, because when you have got <laughs> knives in your back or actual little literal knives being thrown at your face by mm-hmm gangster it's like in that moment you're like why am i doing this but
2: you you make a good point it's it's a peculiar kind of entitlement where we subconsciously end up putting ourselves at the center of someone else's discipleship journey and that's that is the the need often in each of us, whatever that looks like in different vocations, that's the need for a, for feeling a sense of success or it's worth it. Or, God, can't you see how much we're pouring out? I'm entitled to yeah. see the entire uh, journey of this young man or young woman's transformation yeah. and discipleship. Um, and in so doing, I have placed myself at the center of their story rather than God.
3: Yeah.
0: So let's get into it a little bit more practically. What... You spoke about, Sarah, kind of, um, when you had that revelation from God that actually you're called to serve, that you're not promised to see the fruit. And Pete, you were talking about this kind of putting us at the center of other people's stories. And I'm sure now, even if you've heard that from God about, hey, this isn't about you, this is about serving, I'm sure every day you have to wake up and go, I've got to remember this because that's all well and good until you get a message from someone and you're like, What? everything I've done. And so how do you how do you find Jesus in those moments when you're really struggling to get out of yourself, to move yourself out of the centre of other people's stories?
3: Yeah,
2: good question. A big one for me um, was something a dear friend, Adam Cox, um, who lead, a- along with Julie, his wife, they lead Narva Church in Kansas City. And they'd been on our oversight team for a number of years and after a particularly painful betrayal um adam just said well of course not even jesus could make his disciples do what he wanted them to do (laughs) and i thought oh that's so sad on one level but oh so encouraging as well Because ultimately if i if i allow my own sense of purpose worth or calling to be defined by the largely disastrous choices of those coming out of a, gangs and addiction, then, then then I'm never gonna feel great about pretty much anything. Um, and so there, yeah, there's a sense, I think, that we, I certainly, I think we are learning to disassociate the sense of self-worth from the decisions of others. Um, and not to be cold and cynical, not to expect the worst, to believe the best for sure, but um, to grow a resilient faith. Um, Like I said, getting over a sense of entitlement to seeing things in your timescale, on your terms. I think that's a big one for me.
3: And I think for me, something that's really helped me is to, to not be... Um, to, to not be like I guess similar to what you're saying but in my own words is is you, you're not you're not uh, checking how far you are you're not like you're not evaluating your success based on results basically you're you're living from obedience to what you believe God's asked you to do and called you to do and so I think for me, like a, a compass that kind of helps me stay on track when it is discouraging and everything's blowing up in your face on like a daily basis, is is really understanding what your own theology is and and to live congruently with what you believe Jesus, um, has spoken and told you in Scripture says and how to live, um, because then the results and 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 what happens with what you do isn't on you, um, and it's you don't get as discouraged because it's a way of living. It's not works and things
0: to show other people, if that makes sense. Yeah, that's so good. I mean, living where you're at, you're working with um, a lot of people who, I mean, I guess all around the world, people are broken, traumatized, have dysfunction, like you said, um, but particularly you're living in areas where there's been systemic issues that have impacted people's lives. So you're really standing with the oppressed, standing with the poor, the broken, the, the, the commission that Jesus gave us. But in the midst of all of that, do you find it hard to walk the line of mercy? Because, you know, I- I'm just thinking when you're living in a place where there's so obvious right and wrong, and a lot of the times those wrongs aren't corrected on a wider scale, for example. So you're doing the bits that we can by the power of God on the ground. Um, But how do you walk that line of continuing to keep your heart soft rather than getting more and more angry? And not that anger is a bad thing, but how do you balance those things of kindness and humility with justice and, you know, what should be right?
2: Her favourite quote of ours is um, that love is giving somebody the power to crush you and trusting them not to. And so you're giving away power continually. You know, we we are both uh, white uh, and privileged. We have grown up uh, with good education and we have, certainly for me, you know, my schooling in the UK was one of, you know, you've got the answers, you're going to be uh, sort of at the top of the pile type thing. And, and so for me, it's this ever downward trajectory that doesn't come at all naturally um, and that is constitutes a significant unlearning and that is to continually give myself over to those who may well crush me but in doing so expressing love and saying I trust you not to. You know and and I will not crush you too if you trust me not to. And of course betrayals happen but often betrayals not really betrayal it's just immature manifestations of love. We don't know how to love people particularly well yet and so you know, we can talk about being betrayed, but there are plenty of people who would probably tell you that they feel <laughs> things that we did, but felt they felt betrayed by. It. And ultimately, we're all just trying to learn how to express love in a Christ-like way. And if we recognize another great quote that I love is, you know, um, the uh, Australian activist Lilla Watson, who says, if you've come here to help me, don't bother. But if your freedom is bound up in mine, then let's work together. And so... What we're seeing is we are becoming more free as we are helping others become more free. And they are becoming more free as they're helping us become more free. And so if you can aim not at charity, not at handing out hugs, food and opinions, but actually at kingdom reciprocity. Then what you're talking about is not mission, it's friendship, it's neighborliness, and it's putting yourself as a white tertiary educated middle-class person at a point of need in friendship with those who wouldn't conventionally be seen as, you know, like me. So so firstly, what people sometimes say, so what are you saying? I need to just move to Mannenberg and do what you're doing. <laughs> Please don't, absolutely do not. That would be a disaster.
0: I was hearing that from God, but I think that was just a holiday <laughs> invitation. Rather than like a mission invitation? (laughs) Um,
2: But no, I I think at the end of the day, wherever we are, it comes down to, um, I've been thinking a lot about um, what Hagar said about God, you know, when she has uh, fled Abraham and Sarah's abuse, pretty much, um, and gone into the desert on her own, and the angel of the Lord appears to her, prophesies over her uh, still-to-be-born son, and... Hagar says, wow, you're el Roy, the God who sees. And so I think, and firstly, he's got to be the God who sees us first, because how can he be Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals us, unless he's seen us first? You know, how can he be Jehovah Jireh, the one who provides, unless he's seen our need? And so when we say we want to partake in the divine nature, um, which I think each one of us as followers of Jesus to some extent are trying to do, delusions of grandeur aside, what we are trying to say is how do we truly see the people in front of us? Not with human eyes, but with the eyes of El Royi. And so then if I am seeing the the gregarious person in my office or the controlling boss or Janet from accounts or whoever, (laughs) you know... (laughs) Yeah. If I'm truly seeing them, and, and if I am truly putting myself in a point of need relationally where there's a reciprocity, then guess what? That friendship with them draws me back to friendship with Jesus in either joy or frustration. <laughs> and that friendship with Jesus just, just, just leaks out into my friendship with others. And at some point, I believe that um, my friendship, my belovedness, our belovedness in God will um, have an effect on others who don't yet know that. And I think that's pretty much human nature. I think that's pretty much a kind of kingdom concept that is worth trying out in the boardrooms of Canary Wharf as well as the drug dens of manifold.
0: I love that because it really shapes it from right and wrong and just making a very binary decision whether it be on a global scale or on a personal scale, to go, actually, if we truly saw every person through the eyes of Christ and the desire is first connection rather than correction, then from that place, you're able to truly work together in in bringing about the will of God, in loving each other, which is really, really beautiful.
2: And then recognising as well that whatever it is that makes this boss controlling, there's a need that he or she has behind that that has got them to that point of needing to control. And whatever their need is, you know, I also have subconscious or undealt with needs that will manifest in certain behaviours. Manenberg just makes it easier to spot because pain seeks pleasure, so I'll medicate myself on crystal meth. But ultimately, boardroom dynamics and politics are no less rooted in love deficits and internal needs than anything here in Mannenberg. It's just here you've also got, of course, centuries of uh, white supremacy and uh, systemic injustice
0: to throw into the mix. Yeah, just to throw into the mix. <laughs> That's huge, isn't it? So on those days, Sarah, when you wake up, And um, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but I think you both said it really well about the chaos that can be, you know, it can be moment by moment, even throughout a day. My chaos here would be a, a, a cow won't move out of my way. So I can't go to the place I want to walk to because it's just staring at me. That's the kind of the interruption to my day where it's really hard. I mean, yeah, really hard. But obviously for you guys, that's different. It could be something very a lot yeah it looks very different sorry what's it look like for you sarah each day when you wake up and there are moments when you just think i just i just see brokenness everywhere i don't Mm -hmm. it's hard to see where christ is i don't know how to get through this day and you know you've got the the mission you've got the ministry you've got the things that you have to do practically and physically but your heart is just tired Mm -hmm. um do you have any advice or thoughts on how to continue to walk through those times of of, um, of pain?
3: Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts. I'll have to keep them <laughs> brief. Um, so I think I probably, I, I had to seriously consider that question about seven years ago when we lost one, the first young man who actually made it through our program. Um, he, he's the first one that had succeeded. He like made it through, worked hard, actually joined us in working working on one of our pro- programs like was just the most incredible young man and he um died in a car accident just as he was graduating and his death completely destroyed me because he had become family He'd literally been living with us for years um and yeah it absolutely destroyed me and and i had to really consider this question you're asking like how do i actually keep going because i i actually felt it at that time I was like my body physically doesn't have what it takes to keep to keep going, I, I just can't do it. Um, and so through that, hitting that rock bottom, um, I had to, I had a choice basically, either I give up or I keep going and I asked God to help me survive this. And I'm still here, so obviously I chose the second option. But the way that God, essentially sort of discipled me into keeping going in the days when, when you are at the end of yourself, or it's hard to see the hope was by reframing my understanding of his love being answering prayers or um, seeing, like I said earlier, the fruits of what we're trying to do and reframing my understanding of his love to be his presence with me in whatever I'm facing. And so I actually invented my own word to, to like capture what I meant. Cause I didn't mean presence in the sense of like physical manifestations and healing signs and wonders, which are wonderful, but we don't see those every day. So I couldn't, that couldn't be the, the only thing that presence was. Um, so the word I started using was withness, it's God's withness beside me in the suffering and 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 going through a process of of teaching myself to see God in the small things, not the big things, so whether it is my community and the encouragement of my community or people bringing me flowers or a text message or um someone just sharing a word from God with me I, I started learning to like see God in the in in the pain and not just in the answer prayers and the good things and that's what's enabled me to now um have a resilient theology that on the days that are harder, I'm no longer asking the question like, God, is this the right thing? Or have we failed? Or have, have I failed? Um, I'm able to to push through.
0: Withness. That's such a beautiful, be- uh, thank you for sharing that story. I, I, I can't even begin to imagine how painful that must've been um, to sow into that life and see it begin to flourish. Um, So, yeah, thank you for sharing that. Um, And I just love the way that you spoke about how God used that moment to reframe. And you said he discipled you in that. And it's funny when you hear the word discipleship, it's often, um, I don't know, I guess different cultures, but discipleship can feel like telling off. But actually, he was reframing Hmm. your thought and theology to know greater the love of God, the truer the fullness of the love of God. And that's true discipleship, true shaping, right? And so that's, um, wow, that's stunning. Uh, um, well, one final question. Um, what does living each day looking to stand with the broken and oppressed look like in your heart? Not just the outworking of, but in each day, you're, you're living where you're living, you're doing what you're doing. And um, and for me, I know when I was in ministry full time, I'm often engaged in the activities, but actually sometimes my heart, it's, I'm run by my diary. So you kind of go, see this person, prayer meeting, plan this ahead, et cetera. Um, but often my heart can become disconnected with what's going on. So we spoke a little bit about the painful moments but in the everyday, I mean, it doesn't sound like there are boring moments. Um, <laughs> are where plenty of boring moments. <laughs> so you... in those boring moments where you're going through the routine, how do you continue um, to draw on the heart of God? How do you continue to walk uh, with Jesus in those yeah, quieter times?
2: I think our children are uh, great corrective or gift mm. or test to us in this um our daughter simtandile is turning three and our son Lucas turning one and so for uh, i think there's been a realization increasingly over the last couple of years that we are in fact human we do have limited capacity our bodies i'm wearing a, a back support at the moment <laughs> and i've just been to the physio you know our bodies are <laughs>
0: Struggle. I love like, how Sarah is laughing at this. <laughs> we had really bad back pain recently. Oh no! Yeah, we oh, went sorry, to get massages
2: last week because <laughs> we've been, you know, the the banality, honestly, of lifting toddlers in and out of cars and chasing them around and mopping up poo and all of that, and 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 that's the flip side, and that's the reminder for us that <clears throat> just conventional parenting that in one sense is the most banal thing on earth and in the other sense is the sort of greatest privilege and reflection to you of your own selflessness and selfishness in about equal measure. That um, is a relatively new um, dynamic for us, isn't it, in how we go about ministry. Um, And so I think, yeah, that I I forget your question now, but it's... um, that's that's definitely been something for me that has set other things like the busyness of prayer meetings, this and that and all the rest of it and running around the city trying to network and this and money and funding and drug dens and all of that. Um, it's set it in kind of proper perspective that whatever the ups and downs in Manenberg or Tree of Life, our legacy is these two little lives um, and it's changed everything
0: amazing so that grounds you in those moments in the highs and the lows of what's going on ministry life-wise
2: yeah and from 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 overextending and from the sort of essentially sort of ego-driven narcissistic shadow self of who can i be networking and meeting with and how can you know what good can i do that you know i don't know it none of, which doesn't all have to be bad of course you know that's good a lot of that but it you know, your greatest weakness is your strength overextended, right? And so when my strengths of whatever it might be, discipleship, relationship building, and speaking or whatever, get overextended, it's
0: actually then ego territory, and kids do not allow that. No. Well, what about you, Sarah? How do you keep your heart connected to Jesus when you're being the hands and feet of Jesus? How do you connect the two?
3: I think it's probably a combination of trying to create space to, to have stillness mm. and be in beauty. Like where we live, as we said at this, there can be a lot of violence, which can make the space feel like an ugly space. And So we've been intentional to, to, to grow flowers and create a beautiful garden. We've got a prayer room mm. on our property. And so it's the creating space where you can get away to be with the Lord, but also recognize that in different seasons, like what Pete's talking about with children, sometimes you actually can't get an hour quiet time so then you learn how to actually um exercise mindfulness that everything you do is worship and so to try and be present so if i've got my little one-year-old who's awake with me all the time he needs to be held like can i worship with him and 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 see god and, and and be mindful of god in me to him while we're having our play in the morning so it's not separate from him but he becomes part of that and so it's it's adjusting to different seasons, but I think it's the practice of being mindful of like, how today can I experience God if I can't create space? Can I create space in what I'm already doing and how I'm being?
0: Amazing. I love how I was hearing from you guys about the external circumstance of our lives are so different, but the reality of the internal working the way that God works and making space for him to shape us and to teach us and to shape us more, form us more in the likeness of him to know his love is, that's the same thing regardless of what's going on externally, right? That's the the real engaging bit of all of our lives that, um, that yeah, we can jump on a call and talk about and I've got a cow in my backyard and you've got various things going on outside your doors and we're like, yeah, different outside but internally actually God's doing the same, he's calling us to the same thing within Um, which is really, really wonderful and beautiful. Thank you so, so much, guys, for your time. It's been so wonderful hearing from you and seeing your faces and um, hope to catch again soon. Take care. Thank you for joining this episode of the Journal of a New Generation. When we look at the injustices in our world, it's easy to be overwhelmed. But let us not lose sight of our relationship with God in the face of it all and respond to the invitation by God to partner in the small things and trust God's bigger story of redemption. This podcast was brought to you by the supporters of Waverly Abbey, and you can find out more at waverlyabbey.org. Don't forget to subscribe, review, and share this podcast. Thank you.